throughout the sermon series on what we believe as United Methodists. And, uh, of course, it will span the, the Lenten season. <clears throat> that wonderful song about the affirmation of our faith will be used as the theme song in our worship services. The Apostles' Creed is the, is the standard statement of faith for Christian communions of all denominations and church doctrine, not only United Methodist, but of many denominations predicate on that magnificent statement of the apostles. And so we, we bring it out and we are going to, as David did this morning each week, uh, take a segment of it and focus on it and help us to uh, understand better uh, what it means to make this statement and have it as a foundational statement for our faith. Now, as I begin this sermon series this morning, I mentioned to you a couple weeks back that uh, it is prompted by uh, concern and uh, consideration for the United Methodist Church, a denomination which is uh, going through... uh, A lot of turmoil is not too strong a word, and uh, it's brought on by many kinds of things. I want to be very clear that the, the, the issue in the United Methodist Church that has received the, the most attention is the, is the issue of, of human gender, of, of homosexuality. But that's only one of many issues, and it would be wrong, it would be very unfair to to focus on just that one thing. The overarching issue for our denomination is whether or not we are a people of scriptural holiness, whether or not that which was the the basis for the beginning of of, uh, our predecessor churches is still the basis for the church today. Uh, The church has been very good to me. I love the church, and I love where we have come from in our holy heritage as United Methodists. We are a very strongly evangelical church. Uh, Yorkshire was a former evangelical United Brethren church. I come from that side of the family. Pastor Richardson uh, comes from that side of the family. Pastor Bish comes from the evangelical side of the family. In 1968, in Dallas, Texas, the denominations voted to merge, and we became the United Methodist Church, and this year we're 50 years old as, as United Methodists. What I will be saying to you in these sermons is not to lambaste or to detract in any way from our denomination, but to raise before you the the... the the, the critical issues that have been identified by special committees in our church and to lay out for you the biblical basis for what we believe and whether or not we are holding to that biblical basis. So this is not a series that will attack the church, but it is a series that is intended to give us a sharp focus 
because there lies in the not-too-distant future some major decisions for me and you about uh, where, where our allegiance and our loyalties will lie. So let's turn to the Word of God. And I take you into 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 14 and going to chapter 7, verse 1. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I recently met someone who in all likelihood I will never see again. It was just a, a, a situational meeting. We've all had them. Uh, superficial introductions and then on with the business that you have to take care of and the likelihood of ever crossing paths again is very remote. However, during that time as I was being interviewed, a question came up, what do you do for a living? What kind of work do you do? I don't like that question because when, when I answer truthfully, and I always do, everything changes. There's just something about saying that you are a pastor that just changes the whole complexion of conversation and the environment you're in. So I said, well, I'm a pastor. And then the, the question which typically follows that response is, oh, where? <laughs> so I said, well, I'm the senior pastor at Yorkshire United Methodist Church. Then what usually follows are comments about religion or churches or, or where the person I'm speaking with attends church. But the situation that I'm recalling for you, that I'm telling you about, did not go in that direction. The person said, oh, I used to work in an institution where we had a chaplain. And he looked just like Jesus. I didn't do this because I had said where I work and I didn't want to embarrass you. But, but I, I so much wanted to say, 
Really, did you see a picture of him, of Jesus? There are none, you know. There are depictions of what people have thought Jesus looked like. And, but this lady was definitely uh, prejudiced by having seen Solomon's head of Christ, a very famous picture, a picture that I looked at every day in the, my home. My mom had a picture of Solomon's head of Christ, and it, it's, a, it's a beautiful picture, but it, I mean, it really looks like Jesus just came out of the beauty salon. I mean, the, the hair is, is, is just right, you know, and everything. And she said, uh, this, this lady says to me, he just looked like Jesus. He had hair down to his shoulders. And I so much wanted to say, but I didn't. Did he act like Jesus? How were his actions? What was his speech like? Did he act like Jesus? It's amazing what we, the preconceptions uh, that we bring to our, to our faith and ideas about Jesus. Some years ago, many years ago, I had a, had a, a lady say to me, you know, uh, I, got a, I got a new nativity set. And I didn't realize until I got it home that the, the characters in the nativity set had dark skin. And I said, well, well what do you mean? You, you, you mean they... You mean they they weren't Caucasian. And uh, she said, no. She said, they weren't. They had really dark skin. Well, what do you think the people in the land where Jesus lived, what do you think they looked like? But I didn't say that either. <laughs> but she told me how she remedied the situation. She painted every character white. Now, I I get my material from real life. I don't, I don't make this up. So we bring, we bring some preconceptions and, and we try to shape and mold things about our faith in a particular way. <clears throat> and if it doesn't, doesn't fit, then, then we try to make it fit. And that's what the United Methodist Church is doing today. It's taking the faith and the scriptures and rather than bringing it to bear upon the, the, the society, it's molding itself to fit the society so that it fits in. Now, I want you to recall the text verse again as we get into the scripture background this morning. It's this wonderful first verse of chapter 7. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Perfecting holiness. Perfecting holiness. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that, folks? How are you perfecting holiness in your life? You see, holiness is separation from anything that would defile our bodies or minds. That's what the Bible says. 
perfecting holiness is about finishing or, or completing awe or reverence for God. Holy, as we've told you so many times, means to be set apart for God's exclusive glory and use. So perfecting holiness is about finishing or completing the awe and the reverence we have for God in every aspect of our lives. The United Methodist Church and its predecessor denominations held to the primacy of Scripture for the perfecting of holiness. That's where we got our instruction. That's from the source of our doctrine. That's where we originated, at the heart of Scripture, and that is where the church must stay. The Bible is our source for understanding salvation. The Bible is our source for knowing what it means to live a Christian life. The Bible is our source for understanding and knowing the nature and the purpose of the church. God's truth for life and godliness is in the word he breathed and inspired his servants to set forth. Listen to the description that Paul gave to Timothy in his second letter to the young pastor, what he said about the scriptures. It's in 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17. All scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Look at this. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Let's break that down very quickly. The word doctrine in that text. You see it there? Can you show us the full, the full, there we go. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for, for teaching. We're talking about the source of doctrine. Doctrine is divine instruction for the church. The word reproof is in there. Reproof means rebuke for wrong behavior. If we, if we have reason to rebuke someone, to tell them that, that, that their, their life is, is on, a mis, on, on a pathway that it ought not to be, that's not based on what we think what our prejudice may be, it must be based on what the Bible says. For correction, for correction, that means restoration to proper condition. Instruction in righteousness means to train in righteousness, especially the children, to train them in righteousness. When God's word, scripture, the Bible, is honored and believed, when it's hidden in our hearts, as as it says in, in Proverbs, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. There is something special that happens. And the Bible even describes that. That's described in the, in the uh, prophecy of Isaiah. He says, when the word is hidden in us, 
when the word is learned and is in our hearts, we have smooth ground. The way before us is, is cleared of stones that might cause us to stumble. There is, you remember this from Isaiah's prophecy, there is a highway to our God. And there is no confusion about who we are, our purpose, or our relationship to others because we have known the word and the word is what guides us and sustains us and directs us in our relationship with one another. Today, our denomination is conforming to cultural contexts. The United Methodist Church is conforming to cultural contexts, not the perfecting holiness of Scripture. Contextualization means to place something such as a word or activity in a context. Wherever I travel today to denominational gatherings and meetings, I hear about contextualizing our church. Contextualizing is the N-word, the buzzword, the preferred jargon of United Methodist leaders today. Well, United Methodism is not answering the cultural question. And the cultural question with which we must deal is this. Is it Christ that we follow or is it culture? Christ or culture is the question before us. And not only us, mainline denominational churches are running after culture and saying, us too, us too. Whatever's going on in the world around us, we're running after it and we're finding ways to agree with it. We race to the bottom. We race to the bottom when God's word can raise us to the top where the beautiful and true shines bright. Now I fully recognize that the church cannot be the keeper of your conscience. The church cannot be the keeper of your conscience. You must decide. You as believers must decide who you are based on the Bible. You must decide who you are, woman and man of faith, based on the Bible. You must check me out. You must check David. You must check Pastor Bish. You must check Pastor Richardson and make sure that what we are telling you is based on the Bible and not our own bias or prejudice. And that is the message of Paul to the Corinthians. That's what he was saying. He said, was saying, if you discover one among you who is teaching something other than the true gospel, you need to separate. You need to move away from that so that you can, can have a, a pure understanding of the word. There are some things a person cannot do and be a Christian. I know, I know that sounds 
so out of sync with today's permissiveness, with, with you do your thing and I'll do my thing. But that is not what the Word of God tells us, folks. There are some things that Christians cannot do. There are things in each of us, and we'll start with me, from which we should get out and away. Some things will not mix and blend because they are forever incompatible. Some things will not mix and blend because they are forever incompatible. Oil and water. You see, today we're in a culture where people try to make unholy alliances. But those alliances will not succeed because God has already said an unholy alliance is destructive and will bring ruination to a life. Certain failure is before us when we align with that which is not of God. That's what defilement means here in the context of this scripture. (laughs) You like smorgasbords? You like to go to a smorgasbord and it's big, big array of food. You know, some people go through that smorgasbord line and they shouldn't have a plate. They should have a bowl. And they're, they're going along, and, you know, and, and they just, they don't, they don't deal with the salads. They, they do get lots of bread and make sure that it's just dripping with butter. And they, they go along, go along the, you know, where, where the meats are, and they, 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 they pick out the, the, the meat that they want. And, uh, then they come to the potatoes and the mashed and uh, various kinds of potatoes. Don't spend too much time where the vegetables are. And uh, but here's the macaroni and cheese, and man, they load that on. And then they come to the. Some of you are sitting there just agreeing. Oh, really? <laughs> then they, then they come to the gravies, you know. Oh, and they just slather that gravy across there. You know, it's just, it is just loaded in there. And they're walking back and the gravy's dripping off the sides of their plate and they're licking their fingers. Oh, yuck. But, but you've been there, you've to those places, you've seen all that. And then they, then they come to the beverages and, uh, and there, there's somebody there helping them get the beverages because most people's are, are, have, plates are pretty full. And you hear somebody say with one of these big plates that's just so full and dripping with gravy, don't give me a sh- sugar drink. I need to diet. <laughs> well, in a lot of places, church members are living all week long at the smorgasbord of the world. They're living all week long at the smorgasbord of the world, in the culture of the world, and they're just dripping with that stuff. But Sunday morning, for an hour, in worship they drink Diet Coke.
There's not a one of us here. Again, we'll start with a man who's doing the preaching this morning. There's not a one of us here who does not know what it feels like to be where you shouldn't be. Every one of us knows that feeling, to be someplace where you ought not to be. I remember one of the worst times in my life about a situation like that. I had cousins who lived in a, just a, a small rural village, and they lived outside of town. They, were, they kidded about being my country cousins, but, but I loved to go to visit them because there were lots of things to explore, lots of things to do, and, and we were all about the same age, somewhere between 10 and 12 years of age. And one Sunday afternoon, the whole family was together, and a, a bunch of us cousins decided that we were going to uh, take a hike, and our, our parents said it was, it was all right, although they did set some limits, which we didn't follow. And uh, my cousins who who lived at that location said, uh, "Come on, let's let's go back through the go back into the woods." And I remember somebody saying, "Well, are you sure you you know the way?" And they, "Oh yeah, you know, we know the know the way." But the only thing is, we've got to go through this pasture, and there's a bull in the pasture. <laughs> there was even a sign up that said, "Stay out." There's a bull in the pasture. Do you know what we did? How did you know that, Ernie? (laughs) We did. We pulled open the gate and we went in the pasture. And guess what? Mr. Bull saw us and came charging down the pasture. I mean, I was scared because I was where I should not have been. And we ran for our lives. And uh, we made it. We made it. But I can still remember looking back on the other side of that fence and just seeing those nostrils flaring on that animal and thinking, man, I'm glad he didn't get me. So we're on the other side of the pasture. And we decide, well, we're, we're safe now. We'll continue our journey. We'll, we made it through that. And we went back in the woods and my cousins didn't know the way, and we got lost in the woods. And we're wandering around back there. My, our, our one female cousin, had, uh, she was that age where she always carried her purse. And uh, <laughs> what is there, is there an age when you don't do that, ladies? I don't know. <laughs> so she starts taking out her identification cards and tearing them up and laying them on the leaves of plants so we can find our way way back or somebody can find us, you know. So we're going a long time and finally we hear a horn blowing. Yeah, well, it it was blowing from a car that was driven by my dad and his passengers were my uncles who were the fathers of the other kids who were lost and we knew that that was not a good sound. We were glad that they were looking for us, but we just knew that was not a good sound because we were where we should not have been. We were in trouble. Folks, we need to disengage from the things that are only forms of obedience. We need to separate from the things which somehow trick us or fool us into thinking we can get across the pasture because the bull's at the other end. Evil that comes crashing in upon us is so fast. You can't outrun it. 
You can't get away from it. And when you think you do, you discover you're not at a place that you ought to be because you don't know where you are. You can't identify your surroundings. And it's really scary. And the purpose of the church must always be to call to those people who insist on going across the pasture to the other side and finding themselves lost. And we must always be about going after those people, not encouraging them to go further and further from what the truth about life is. There are some things we must separate from. And only by separation will you know the full riches of being God's woman and God's man. You cannot have Jesus and this, Jesus and this, and Jesus and this. It's God's way, and God's way is not to keep you under his thumb. Listen, God's way is to give you liberation, is to give you freedom and enjoyment for your life. He doesn't want to hold you back. He wants you to find true joy, not the pseudo, false, phony joy that the world is offering us. Our desire, our desire must be to become like Jesus. We want that for our United Methodist Church to be Christ-like. We want it for the members of our church. Listen to what the author of the letter to the Hebrews said. It's in chapter 7, verse 26 of Hebrews. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Listen to the description of our high priest, Jesus. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Separated from sinners. Doesn't mean we're not concerned about people whose lifestyles are destructive. Doesn't mean that, that we would say to anybody, you cannot come in to worship here. It means that in, in reaching to people, Jesus identified their real need and met them. It doesn't mean that he agreed with them and stroked them and, and, and encouraged them to, to do their thing. Because so many times our thing is destructive. And when it is contrary to the will of God, it most definitely is instruction, destructive. Listen, life is not a game of keep away. Life is not a game of keep away. Life is created by God and it is created wholly by God. It is precious and it belongs to him. The Bible is clear and I believe it is compelling about what we must keep away from and out of if our lives are going to be holy lives. We have a book of discipline for United Methodists. Our church has a constitution and there is a preamble to the Constitution of the United Methodist Church. I want you to hear what that preamble states. 
The church is a community of all true believers under the lordship of Christ. It is the redeemed and redeeming fellowship in which the word of God is preached by persons divinely called and the sacraments are duly administered according to Christ's own appointment. Under the discipline of the Holy Spirit, the church seeks to provide for the maintenance of worship, the edification of believers, and the redemption of the world. The church of Jesus Christ exists in and for the world, and, is, and its very dividedness is a hindrance to its mission in that world. The prayers and intentions of the United Methodist Church and its predecessors, the Evangelical United Brethren Church and the Methodist Church, have been and are for obedience in the will of our Lord, for obedience in the will of our Lord, that this people be one in humility for the present brokenness of the church and in gratitude that opportunities for reunion have been given. We are far away from the strength of that preamble today. Our denomination is separating and many are going away from the word of God Our church, our denomination must pursue Christ and not culture. The United Methodist Church must rediscover whose we are and be about perfecting holiness according to the Bible. Let's pray. Gracious God, for your word, which expresses your mind and heart for us, which is a word of healing and wholeness and and reconciliation to all people, regardless of their history, we give you thanks. And we pray that that here at Yorkshire and across our church, a church that you've blessed in many, many times and places and brought blessing to others through its ministry will be a church that returns again to a life of perfecting holiness so that by drawing our instruction our direction from your word. We will be a people that you can honor and bless. And we will become again a people of great blessing to others. Lead us and guide us, O God, that you may be glorified. In the name of Jesus, your Savior's Son, I pray, amen.